Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm happy I did it and I went there. There's no magic trick, but if you're, the magic trick is to me is like getting so hyper real with the story and connecting with something that is just scary. And once you feel that, it tells you you're heading in the right direction. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Awardist, where we're chatting with the actors, creators, and more who are contenders this year and breaking down the state of the 2023 Emmys race. I'm Entertainment Weekly Executive Editor Jared Hall, and joining me this week is EW Editor-in-Chief Patrick Gomez. Hello, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Glad to be back. Glad to have you back. Uh, so this week we uh, have the co-creator, co-writer, and the star of the Netflix comedy series, Mo. I chat with Mo Ammer, who might just be my favorite interview ever on the awardist. He is so gracious and candid and vulnerable and funny. Um, if you haven't watched the show, do so. You can watch the entire season in like one night. Uh, so I can't wait for everyone to hear that chat a little later. But before that, let's talk about the comedy race this year. Mo is among the shows that's looking for a spot in what I think will be a field of eight nominees. The number of nominees is determined by the number of submissions. Um, there is one in particular, as we get into this conversation, Patrick, that I want to single out because the uh, the new and final season debuted Friday and the show graces our latest cover, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. So many people have messaged me, texted me, talked to me at, a, at an FYC event last week about it. Um, where Rachel Brosnahan and Alex Borstein are paying homage to some uh, classic TV duos, Lucy and Ethel, Mary and Rhoda, Daphne and Velma, and Laverne and Shirley. Uh, Patrick, I would love if you could share a bit of like the uh, about the making of that cover. Yeah, it was. It was first of all, it was a blast. Uh, these yeah. are two women who, uh, similar to their characters, feel like they never would have met um, had just not fate put them together. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. they consider themselves kind of like very different actors and uh oh, you know yeah. Rachel didn't consider herself a comedy actress so like wouldn't have necessarily gone out for a role but this you know because of the pedigree of coming from Amy Sherman Palladino they thought it was an interesting opportunity for her and she walked in and like she's like I never would have otherwise act- worked with Alex Borstein and so it was really fascinating to watch these two women who have grown over 5 seasons of working together into this like just incredible professional uh team and so they were fully on board with this concept uh i i will say um this concept has actually been batted around with the mazel cast god i think since like 2018 was the when we started talking to them about possibly doing something like this and to be honest it's same with them finally getting to meet each other and work together it, it it was all happened when it was supposed to because I think the fact that this was got to be a motion cover uh, and really showcase their personalities and not just still images was was the total right way for this to come to life. And they were in between, uh, you know, getting obviously their makeup and and hair and wardrobe changed in between each setup. 
they were like taking time to be like, all right, well, I looked and there's like a way she holds her hand. And like they embodied each of these duos just perfectly. And they were like teaching themselves the Laverne and Shirley, Shlemiel, Shamazel uh, number and, and all of that just so that they could like hold on like like the great actresses that they are that they could hold on to these like little pieces of these characters that really made you feel like you were watching them transformed into those into lucy into ethel into rhoda into mary uh and there's also if you if so you can see the cover all over social media and such but if you go to the actual um story on ew.com which i very much encourage you to do uh there is a header video up at the top and you see some of the bloopers of like the hat throw not always going exactly right and Oh my God. Uh, as Belma and Daphne, they had to come in and kind of bump into each other back to back. And, and Rachel was having issues with getting the exact timing right. Or like she would take the corner either too sharp and knock over like the, the, um, <laughs> the screen, yeah. the screen or, uh, which let me tell you, like <laughs> the, our creative team had to work so hard to make that look like a one shot situation. Yeah. Um, and worked with the post-production team to make sure that that screen didn't look like it moved, even though it did. Cause again, Rachel would like either knock it or go really wide and completely miss bumping into. And you see that moment in the blooper reel sort of video. It's, it's really, really fun. They just, they were such a blast. I could, I could gush about getting to watch them film that for days. Yeah. And well, and to your point, it, it wasn't really just enough to, you know, go with the hair, the makeup, the wardrobe, those, those little, the mannerisms, those things that they picked up. That's what really sells it and makes it all the more special and, and kind of puts them now up there in that echelon of great TV duos. I mean, I, and once people see more of this season, it's even more solidified. Uh, well, I love them so much. Watching them together is just, I, it's really kind of some, some really great TV magic. The, uh, the duality of their personalities together is, um, it, it's just marvelous. I will go there and, and go with the pun. Um, but that show, of course, and Mo, which I mentioned, uh, those two shows, uh, you know, trying to get into, uh, the comedy field this year uh one of those uh, eight slots for nominations other shows are ted lasso abbott elementary only murders in the building the bear barry poker face shrinking the great wednesday what we do in the shadows atlanta reservation dogs the righteous gemstones dead to me the other two ghosts um and that's a list of what 15 there are so many more uh, i do want to note that beef on netflix with ali wong and steven yun is not a comedy it is in the limited or anthology series race so that's uh one slot that probably opens up here um i know there's always a chance that something bizarre could happen um but i think i will go out on a limb here a fairly sturdy limb and say that abbott ted barry the bear and only murders are all but a lock that leaves three open slots. What are your thoughts there, Patrick? I mean, if you listened to last week's episode, you will know that I'm a fan of ghosts. Uh, so I would love to see um, some attention there. You know, I think it's only gotten stronger in season two. So I would love that, not just that show, but that cast to get to get some attention there. Um, and I, I love that the other two is already making these lists, even though it's like not out yet. And interesting, only six episodes will have aired during this eligibility period. So it's actually going to fall into one of those weird middle, uh, middle situations where it might actually have some episodes from this season that are eligible for individual awards, uh, in the next Emmys. Um, so, uh, I, I would, I would love, um, the other two to get two years of, of attention, um, or any attention. That show is just so good that I, I, I have not personally seen any of this new season yet, but I'm already advocating that it should be given awards. 
Um, that's how much confidence I have in that team uh, based on based on the first two seasons. Um, so uh, those two that obviously you know you listed a top fifteen uh, that are on the end of that fifteen. Uh, I, I I'm hoping they could maybe move some up, but I think that it's what's really interesting is how much. Uh, unlike with the drama categories, which I think a lot of the big contenders were out months ago, I feel like with comedy, a lot of them are stuff that, again, maybe hasn't even premiered yet that we're going to be talking about when it comes to nomination time. Yeah, you're right. Like uh, Barry is coming up. Uh, Poker Face just finished. Uh, Shrinking just finished. The Greats new season is about to start. Uh, Wednesday was a, a little while ago. Uh, and then, like you said, the other two coming up. Um, yeah, so it's, it's an interesting mix because, uh, I, I mean, Atlanta, it would be for its final season. It has been nominated. Uh, I'm almost sure it has been nominated for every season. Reservation Dogs, uh, I know that is a show that so many people love critics love it when you talk to people in the industry they love it i just don't know how or why it hasn't broken into that that you know nomination uh list just yet maybe it'll be a boys situation though mm. like we could always hope um yeah. that like it could break through in a similar way of like everyone loving the show but being like but it'll never get nominated and then it does and suddenly you're just like well now it should be nominated every year <laughs> that's yeah that's that's certainly true um and what we do in the shadows that's one that um uh, you know for the past couple of years it's been like oh is it gonna do anything and i think some people have kind of wanted to almost write it off from their list and then here it comes you know uh some of the cast get nominations the show has gotten uh you know the comedy nomination um the righteous gemstones by the way is another one that people absolutely love and i will say i i don't know why i resisted at first and once i watched really got into it it is it is wildly funny absolutely hysterical um and it's a great cast too i mean dana mcbride and uh so many so many really talented comedians on that show um so i'm a little surprised that's one that hasn't gotten through either and then dead to me that would be for its final season which i think um comedically speaking i think it's christina applegate's strongest season uh she uh I think it's a combination of those those things that you need first of all the writing is just really great but Christina Applegate has the absolute best timing and delivery. You got to have, I think, all three. And she just, she's, I mean, she's been doing it for so long. She, she gets it. No, I, I 100% agree. It's, it, 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 well, and also it's just like Maisel, like there's a lot of final seasons to, to be looking at here though. So it's, it's just, it's going to be a tough, tough race. Yeah, going to be a tough one, and then makes me wonder, how's 2024 going to look uh, for, for this comedy field with so many gone? But that's jumping ahead way too far. So that said, a lot of these that we've talked about, Patrick, um, you know, it, it brings up a bigger issue that we've talked about in the EW office, that we've even talked about on EW.com. I've had conversations with folks in the industry about it. What to do about dramedies? Because... Barry, uh, The Bear, Shrinking, Atlanta, Reservation Dogs, Dead to Me. Uh, I think you can put Wednesday in that category. Ted Lasso, Borders on it. Um, 
Hax is not on this year eligible. I think some would say even it is a is a dramedy. Maisel is there even? a sol- yeah Maisel for sure yeah. Um, but then we look at shows that like Abbott Elementary is obviously very much a comedy. Only Murders in the Building very funny. The Great. Um, I mean it is a really funny show. I think it leans into the comedy more than the drama. Uh, what we do in the shadows, the other two ghosts. So having said all that. It, is there a solution or should we just get over it? Well, I, I think there's also a, you know, look, this makes for a horribly unexciting awards ceremony. But there's also something to be said about going in the opposite direction. And rather than making new categories, kind of just being like, here's the best in TV, you know, similar to Peabody Awards, where it's just kind of like, and here's everyone that we thought was worth uh, getting an award this year, because look, these are entertainment awards. So it's not that there's danger. But I I think once you start nitpicking there of like, okay, we're going to add a third category, then it's like, okay, well, what about, you know, there's just 900 other things that we could be breaking into categories here. And so I, I think it's, it's tough. It's similar to to you know the discussion that we've had about um, non-binary actors and where they fit in these gendered uh, categories. And it's like, so the answer isn't to give a third category, uh, for, like specifically for non-binary um, uh, actors, but is it getting rid of the male female binary uh, in terms of of and just having actors all compete? You know, best comedy actor, best drama actor, or is it just best actor and actress and it's like the oscars and there's comedies and there's dramas i you know there's problems with that solution too you know we see it at the oscars that dramas are are you know over index uh in terms of who gets attention versus comedies and such so there's no perfect solution here i don't know that the answer is adding a third uh option um i also don't think the answer was as they tried to do at one point and then pulled back at various award shows which is well, if you're if you're 30 minutes, you're a comedy, and if you're more than 30 minutes, you're a drama. Like that's also not the answer. So it's tough. It's tough because I don't think that there is a clear cut way to move past it. And I kind of feel like we have the best solution now, where it's kind of like, well, choose your own adventure. And you know, we've also seen shows over the years be a comedy one season and be a drama the next. Uh, looking at you, Desperate Housewives, uh, and and maybe sometimes that's the case. Like I would say. My favorite acting moment, while she's a fantastic comedic actress, my favorite acting moment from Alex Borstein, to go back to Maisel, um, from season uh, four, uh, was was a funeral scene and that was incredibly moving. And yes, there were a few comedic moments, but like that's what I remember most about that season. And that was a very drama moment. So even when comedic actors win awards, oftentimes it's because they had the most dramatic role of the of that bunch that year indeed yeah i mean it's uh i've had the conversation with gene smart right before uh the season two emmys uh or before voting um for the you know for the the final voting uh she told me which episode she submitted and uh, she said she thought a really long time about it because she felt like what she submitted for season one for final voting was actually more dramatic material and she was like no i'm in the comedy category i've got to submit funny stuff so while i appreciate the nobility there also though i don't really know if voters are looking at the specific episode to see what did they submit and does is her f- material funnier than, uh, you know, Quinta Brunson's? I think the only time that that might come into play is if you haven't seen the show. Like, then obviously, I think you're going to watch the episode that they 
submitted because that's the most convenient to be like, oh, okay, this is what they submitted. I will watch this one episode. To your point, if they've already watched the show, they're taking it all into account. And you know what? I also think that it's great that you can't really put a lot of these series into a box because like that's life. Life's a little sad. Life's a little funny. Life's a little dramatic. (laughs) Life's a little silly. And it's just, it's just a sign that we're allowing people to tell good stories rather than feeling that they have to fit into a convention. Um, Not that there's anything wrong with that. Like, Abbott is a fantastic comedy. Uh, Ghosts is a fantastic comedy in a very traditional sitcom sense that we, you know, these awards shows, particularly the Emmys, have been used to for decades. And that's that's a great art there. And but I think it's great that we're expanding into into a, a world that everything's a little bit of everything. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, to, to that point, too, uh, we just got the the trailer end of last week for Pete Davidson's show, Bupkus, that's going to be on Peacock. And uh, as soon as those screeners came in, I started watching right away. This is a, another example of one of those shows we haven't even seen yet. Um, it is silly. It is absurd. I, this is not my official review. So I let's not say I'm, I'm not breaking any embargo. But to, to your point of, you know, the silly stuff and the stuff that's still to come. I mean, that stuff is still out there. And, and it makes me wonder if something like that uh can break through because that show um is straight up comedy with some some you know i mean it's pete davidson's life based largely on his life so there are some sadder moments but it's really all about finding the comedy in those moments uh so that's you know it's very much leaning into that all of this takes me to one more question uh where we have people who are on Sketch variety shows like uh, uh, Amy Schumer for her show Inside Amy Schumer, or you have the performers on a Black Lady Sketch Show, or the SNL folks, they all end up in the actual comedy categories for performance. Do you think they should have their own variety sketch performer categories? Yes. Yeah, that is where I am all for a new category. So, so ignore everything I just said about adding, adding more. <laughs> but no, I mean, it's a completely different muscle to stretch. I mean, it's, it's similar to, it's similar to guest actor. Like you wouldn't want to guess, like to me, there, it's like, yes, somebody's on SNL all season or Amy Schumer's on her show for all season. Um, but, you know, you're looking at these like very specific characters that they're playing for like a very short amount of time. And that's a, that's a totally different skill set. I would argue actually a more, more difficult um, set of skills that you have to have to be able to do all of those different characters uh, so well. Um, and so it's a little, I think it's a little unfair to judge people that are only playing one character all season against that because you've got some variety. So, so let's say, okay, I didn't love that one Amy Schumer character, but I really loved that other one. Like that puts the, that puts the normal, uh, episodic, uh, actors, uh, at a disadvantage. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you don't get that emotional journey with being a sketch, uh, comedy actor that you do when you have, you know, a normal episodic, sorry, serialized series where, you know, you get to tell a whole story. So there's, there's pluses and minuses for both sides, but I do think that it is unfair that we look at them in the same category. 
So there I'm for a new one. Uh, what do you, what do you think though? I, I, I'm completely with you on that. I, it's a, it's a totally different ball game. And, you know, I, I, I believe it was his first nomination, Bowen Yang's for, uh, you know, the Titanic sketch. And uh, to your point, you know, that's a four minute, uh, character. Um, of course, I mean, he's great on the show all the time, but that's the one that I think really catapulted him and helped secure that nomination. Um, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of talk for Egon Wodum for her, um, Lisa from Temecula sketch, uh, that uh, closed out a recent episode and is so fantastically funny. Um, so, right, it's it's just tough to compare so many different things that they do so well uh, with, you know, someone who gets to live with a character all season. Like you said, I, I'm right there with you on that. Um, so that said, uh, I posed the question to you last week. Who do you think should be getting more attention that isn't? Who ought to get a nod? Uh, oh God! You know, I would have held back uh, last week. I gave you like more than one. I would have, I would have held back if I known this question was coming two weeks in a row. So, so I'm punting it back to you. Uh, wh- okay. what, who do you think uh, deserves more attention? Yeah, because I came unprepared last week. I came up with something, but you know, who I really will say is, um, uh, I don't want her to get overlooked because she was only on the show for half of the season. But I do think Cecily Strong deserves another nomination for SNL. Uh, the supporting categories are always so overloaded because there are traditionally more supporting characters on shows than there are lead characters. Uh, so I, I just think the work that she did uh, in that, uh, I think she had eight episodes. Um, she's just such a reliable comedic actress. Again, like, Christina Applegate, we were talking about earlier, she understands timing and delivery is so key because especially on that show, you don't want um, you don't want your characters to sound the same or have the same mannerisms or stuff like that. And she's so good about distinguishing all of those different personalities that she gets to um, you know bring to the screen. Um, and I, I just think she's one of the, the greatest comedic actresses working right now so i would love to see her get back in that supporting field yeah i mean i'm also going to shout out to to the what we do in the shadows uh uh, cast you know the show itself got a somewhat surprise recognition um but the cast uh also really really deserves um some attention also american auto which you know i actually will admit i i Watched the first few episodes of season one and was kind of meh. Um, and then season two, though, I think they've just been like knocking it out of the park. Um, and so I, you know, Anna Gasteyer, but that entire, that entire group is, is fantastic. And also I would say not dead yet. Uh, again, not the, like it's uneven. It's in its first season. It's still like finding exactly what it wants its voice to be. Uh, but Gina Rodriguez is just a shining comedic star as always. Uh, but that that entire cast is also um, really strong, and and I would love to see some attention there too. Yeah, two really great picks. American Auto. I was just speaking with Anna Gasteyer uh, last week at um, the NBC Universal had uh, an FYC event lunch, and you know we were talking about them really finding their footing, and you know the. Uh, I guess it's pun intended, you know, the foot is on the gas pedal with that show. Um, and she really credits Justin Spitzer, who also, also created, uh, you know, Superstore um, for just really understanding humans and how they interact. And so the the comedy is not like elevated to an absurd place. It's gr- really grounded. Um, and they they do such a great job on that. They did on Superstore as well. Finding the funny in just normal stuff normal workplaces um so yeah i I really enjoy that show 
as well. All right. So uh, let's start to pivot here to Mo Ammer. Um, he is a, a Palestinian refugee, came to America when he was nine years old when the Gulf War started. His family settled in Houston, Patrick's hometown. Um, so look, Houston is the fourth largest city in the U.S. It is incredibly diverse. My the thing I wonder to you, Patrick, is why do we not see more things, more shows set in Houston? It's the perfect setting for something. Well, it's so interesting. You know what I think it is, is when people think of Texas, they think of, in my opinion, either rural Texas and you're thinking like, you know, farms and, and uh, you know, ranches and and that sort of thing, or you're thinking again, in my opinion, someone from Dallas would say it's Houston, but I was, I would say it's, it's like Dallas where it's like a lot more, um, Texas society with like a deep Southern accent sort of, um, thing, or you're thinking Austin and it's like, you know, keep Austin weird and that whole vibe. Uh, and Houston, look, I grew so many up there. Different I loved cultures it. within one state. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I think with Houston, it's very much, uh, a melting pot city uh, in, I think actually way more than even New York in the, tr- in the sense of like communities, like meshing and melding and, uh, and actually creating something new. I mean, there's a reason that, you know, there's not really Cali Mex uh, cuisine, but Tex-Mex is a cuisine everyone knows. And that's because it, it, the cultures really combined there in a way. I think it's also an, an interesting fun fact is um, one of the reasons that Houston has a really large um, Southeast Asian population is that the waters of the Gulf, particularly the waters off the Texas Gulf, uh, particularly the waters off the Texas coast of the Gulf are the closest um, to the waters of Southeast Asia. And so fishing is the major industry in Southeast Asia. And so when a lot of the immigrants came, they moved to Houston because they could get similar work. Um, so just a fun fact there, wow. um, but it's also got yeah, a thriving. shooting star. The more, you know, exactly, exactly. I'm, I'm <laughs> Katy Perry riding across the Super Bowl stadium. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's, there's, uh, obviously a huge, um, Mexican American and, and, uh, Hispanic community in Houston, uh, a very large black community in Houston, uh, not just Southeast Asian, but all of Asian. My, my high school was about 50% um, white and 50% not white, uh, maybe 60, 40, um, not white. Um, and the, the not white, uh, percent half or, or 60% was pretty evenly distributed between, uh, like all the different, um, demographics. And then even on the white, um, side of it was about 50, 50 Jewish and, and non-Jewish. So even there, there was, there was some major cultural diversity. And a lot, I think in people's heads, uh, that's not what you think of when you think of Texas. So if you're going to give an accurate representation of Houston, it it it's not what people would expect. And so I think that that's why you don't like ultimately jump there. Like if you're thinking you're going to go to Texas, you're going to go to Dallas, you're going to go to Austin, um, or you're going to you know be on a ranch somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Right. Anyway, that's my spiel oh, about that Houston. Makes sense. <laughs> so right, yeah. So really, it's just it's just lack of awareness of 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 what exists there. The 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 potential for the stories that can be told. Yeah, I was so grateful. Um, Top Chef um got to highlight uh Houston. Yeah, and I thought that that was really really great. Again, to show the diversity that Houston has and the and like the the cultural centers that Houston has because you know it really does have a really rich uh, uh multicultural uh environment. 
Mm. Well, uh, folks who watch the show, Mo, are, are certainly going to get uh, a, a lot of, of culture. Uh, his his story is really incredible. Um, I, I know it was based on his life, but I didn't realize how many things he actually incorporated, how many you know things that he really experienced. Uh, and he talks about all of that uh, in a very uh, candid, honest, uh, emotional way in our interview. So uh, we are going to get to that interview right after this quick break. Don't go anywhere. The Awardist will be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Awardist. All right. Right now, uh, I've already kind of said it earlier. He's, I think, now my favorite interview ever on the Awardist podcast. Mo Ammer, uh, the star co-creator, co-writer of the series Mo, which is coming back for a second season. I tried to get a little bit out of him. You'll see what he says. Uh, so without further ado, here we go. Uh, my interview with Mo Ammer. Mo Amr, thank you so much for uh, joining me today. It, it is a real pleasure to speak with you. Your show is, um, I, I, I really, I couldn't get enough of it. Um, I, I didn't know what to expect going in, but um, knowing that it is, you know, inspired by your real life and seeing, uh, you know, we don't see a lot of shows set in Houston. We uh, unfortunately don't see as many stories about immigration as we should. Um, so I, I just, I found your show just a, uh, a, a relief, uh, you know, uh, in a crowded landscape of television. Thank you. You know, you touched on a lot there. Uh, first, just to speak on Houston for a bit. Um, it is ba- the show is definitely based and grounded in my refugee asylee experience in America. And one thing I noticed is that Houston has had so many amazing artists that have exported so much music out of Houston and. Uh, I just it just felt so odd to me that the fourth largest city in America, the most diverse city in America, has never had a narrative sitcom filmed in Houston. Like it was just kind of mind blowing to me. So it was always uh, like kind of my love letter to Houston of like the city that accepted me, embraced me, not only me but my family and and um, and now second generation, third generation kids that are you know my. That my uh, that my family's growing there as we speak, and so so it's just something that I've I've always dreamt of uh, doing something that was so honest and grounded and real and showed Houston in such a positive light. And I, when I was pitching the show and cinematically, Houston has you know this really bright sun, and people forget it's a coastal city as well it's just on the gulf but nobody ever takes it seriously because we have miami so everybody's like yeah 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 you know (laughs) it was one of those things so i just uh i just has these really bright skies and interesting cloud formations that they're so rich and cinematic and i always pitched it as like an urban western kind of feel to it which i just loved um you know the opportunity to to bring that forth in television and not even thinking about it as a TV series, thinking about it like as a two-part movie, 
almost is like that's the the thought process that I had going into making the show. Um, and then, you know, you've always seen immigrant TV shows as like super dramatic, uh, people on boats, uh, not going to make it, who knows what, uh, people getting ripped from their kids. And of course, those are very real things that do happen. But also what happens when you get there? What does it mean to be an immigrant and being a asylee? And people think, uh, when I say people, like I think the vast majority of Americans when they think of immigrants, they get here and then they get their paperwork in a very short period of time where it's not like that at all. Like it takes a lot of work and dedication to actually become an American citizen, arguably more American than anybody else. You know, you actually like earn it so hard and it takes so many years and you have to be like perfect and flawless in your record to even attain citizenship. So it's a, uh, it's a journey that's fun to play with, but also clearly very difficult and um and leaves a lot of emotional and psychological scars and it was it was so interesting to 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 go there uh as an actor and as a creator and a writer in the show and and still having a really really great time doing it yeah okay so a lot of that stuff i i am certainly going to get into but first i have to um before we get to those other questions, offer up some uh, congratulations to you because uh, you guys uh, were just awarded a Peabody. Uh, so, so uh, applause all around there. Uh, I mean, look, nomination. you're in com- Peabody, oh, nomination. Peabody nomination, right, 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 right. But from your lips to God's ears, you know, as they say. Uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. And you're in the company of some some really outstanding shows: Abbott Elementary, Atlanta, uh, Better Call Saul, Pachenko, Reservation Dogs. Uh, what, what was what was reaction when when you got that news? You know, I beautiful, of course, like overwhelming. And to be honest with you, the AFI getting honored by the American Film Institute was the first like, whoa, you know, <laughs> like, I think to be sitting across James Cameron and, and Spielberg and to speak to these people, like having real conversations with them and having a moment with Michelle before she won an Oscar so many months later, like that is, that was just crazy to me and I was sitting there talking to Slick, our director. I was like, we were sitting there in Houston because nobody's ever filmed a show in Houston. We're like literally trying to talk them into filming in their barber shop. Like, listen, this is what we're doing. This is what we're going to try to put it together. And they're really skeptical until I walk in and start telling them like, hey, this is, I'm from here. So, oh, what's up, Mo? And then they feel more comfortable. We're trying to talk these people into filming a show. And then a year later, we're sitting there getting a letter from Spielberg about how much he enjoyed the show. It's like, it's like uh it's it's just brings tears to your eyes like literally like it just it just makes it all so worth it all that pain and all that struggle to get the show off the ground and and of course to get a peabody nomination is is huge it's one of the it's one of the ones that you hope to get and um to be honest with you, I try not to think about those things I just keep like grinding and looking forward and even when we got the nom now I think about how do we get it next year? You know, how do we, how do we, how do we, how do we like, how do we really set ourselves apart from anything else that's on television and really stay focused and grounded in the art and the storytelling and just not get so caught up. It doesn't mean we're not going to enjoy it and celebrate. Um, but just, I try, I try not to celebrate too much. It just feels, it just feels a little premature, but I, I'm very, very excited about it and honored of course. And, uh, just tip my hat to the entire production team. Everybody put everybody's efforts um, were the reason why we we ended up getting this nomination. 
Yeah. Well, surely you guys were celebrating back when the show debuted last August. I mean, you know, if you still look at Rotten Tomatoes, there's a few dozen reviews on there and you guys are at a hundred percent. So that's, uh, that, that's certainly, uh, something to celebrate. But here's what's interesting is that, you know, Netflix, of course, does a binge drop. Um, and as is, you know, the case with lots of streaming shows, is it safe to assume that you guys didn't get the, um, like the instant reaction from viewers? Was it a slow burn and you, you got reaction more over time as people found the show? Um, yeah, I don't really know much of like the specifics because, you know, Netflix is very, um, Netflix with the numbers. Yeah. They don't don't tell you unless you're in like in a different stratosphere. I think that's the, that's the, unless you're breaking records. Um, we don't really know about it, but I can definitely tell you like the reactions that I've had on the street and my life has changed dramatically from what it was pre-show versus post-show. And quite frankly, like during the release of the show, I, you know, I had some, you know, I, I lost a brother in July that I did not, I was just in a completely different mindset. Oh, and so wow. I wasn't even thinking about the show, to be honest. Like, I was really like, I was, of course, I was excited about it, but I was more thinking about like how to be grounded and be around my friends and, and my family and be present for that. And then we went out to Andy Ruiz Jr., who's, you know, I think number third boxer, heavyweight boxer in the world, just happened to send a text and he's like, hey, you know, I'm a big fan. Would you come out to the boxing match? I was like, are you a fan of boxing? I'm like, I'm a huge fan of boxing. I go. And I totally forget that the show dropped. Like, I'm really in a different headspace, to be honest. And I've never even shared this about my family. And just like I was completely in a different headspace. I get there. And we're just walking in, me and my girl, just like kind of walking in and not thinking like, hey, we should probably go through this area or this area. I'm just like, whatever, let's just go and just didn't, didn't even think about it. And to see the reaction of the Latinos, there's predominantly Latino audience there, were just losing their minds. Like, oh my God, you're one of us. Like somebody told this story finally, like this is so... Like we hit the we hit the nail right on the head, kind of. I was just like, "Oh my god!" I'm like, "This is a totally different situation." I should have really thought this through. <laughs> it became like this big party, and there's nowhere you can go and walk. And it was just, it was just so much love coming at me. So I just think about it like, what's what's the point is is like the 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 real audience that matters to me is the reaction that I get on the street and how you know the all the tickets are selling, the the shows, the touring has been tremendous. I, you know, uh, sold out my first arena and amphitheater in the Middle East and then coming back here and feeling that and how people feel seen more than anything else. Um, and, you know, it's a crowded space. You know, Netflix is a really, really crowded space and and it has a lot of things coming out at different times. And, and so it just, you know, naturally, you know, some people get more air than others. And you would hope that, you know, our story is so different. The show is done so well that it receives its time and advertising that it deserves. And, you know, it's just like you make something special and let the people speak for themselves. And not only the people have spoken, but also like the, 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 you know, from AFI to the Gotham Awards, giving us best new series to now, you know, the Peabody or the Indie Spirit Awards, you know, nominating me for, for the show. So that's like, again, like being focused on what's in front of you and not not being focused on the next thing is really what it's about and just like everything else feels like outside noise and just let it and really really just being 
self-centered and 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 what's in front of you finishing finishing the plate that's in front of you but yeah, yeah. do you wish that you had a budget that you can just like bring in everybody and have all your friends on it and get all the eyes you can possibly get on it yeah of course but you also have to like prove yourself as a as a filmmaker as a, as a writer as a performer and I, you would hope that after all of this and you would you would have the ability to stretch your legs a little bit more yeah, yeah, makes sense. Uh, and, and by the way, thank you for uh, sharing that about your brother. I'm very sorry to hear about that loss. Did then with all that reaction that you were talking about, did you find that like in any way healing for you? Yes, of course. I mean, like, look, my art has always been a form of healing. You know, the stand up comedy has been always this this outlet for me to to speak about things that are very personal to me. That that in turn creates comedy that brings laughter and that's really the main focus right you can't be a stand-up comedian without making people laugh but being a great stand-up comedian is what making them laugh but also make them think and it's always been that source for me and when i discovered stand-up comedy as an art form it being an indigenous art form to america one of three jazz hip-hop being the other two i've never heard of it coming here as a nine-year-old kid to america like i never that never dawned on me as an art form so when i saw it immediately embraced it and it's been a huge release for me for sure um you know life is life and, and life doesn't wait for you you know and things move forward it just puts things in perspective and makes you think like oh the things that you want to do tomorrow you should really the things that are really important to you it just realign recontextualizes everything in your life and and it's just um you know nothing could have everybody experienced that on a daily basis and and to be to have like something that you can look forward to 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 push these stories forward or have this outlet yeah i'm so grateful that i have that you know a lot of people don't and are still wondering what that is for themselves so so i think gratitude is the word you know mm, have a lot yeah. of gratitude yeah well to to the point of what you're saying about um you know finding uh comedy and and laughter very early as you know part of that kind of healing, uh, you know, something to kind of use as therapy. You know, as I was watching the show um, and we see the flashbacks, um, you know, to to when the Gulf War starts, you know, I remember, I don't know why I have this very vivid memory of being uh, in fifth grade, coming home from basketball practice one day after school, the one and only year I ever played basketball. Um, but I remember hearing on the radio that the Gulf War had started and then there was just this, uh, you know, on American news, this deluge of seeing all the footage of the, of the Scud missiles. Um, you know, so that, like, that was all of the imagery, but obviously as a 10 year old, I wasn't processing what was happening on the other end of that, that like what families like yours were going through because all we were hearing was, you know, it's about Saddam Hussein, it's about the regime, whatever, but obviously families are so intimately affected um so as you're going through the process of writing this show w was it uh I, you lived it you've you obviously dealt with it for many years but did you still find aspects of writing the show and, and putting your story together as therapy or that's something that was all kind of like long gone behind and, and you and your family had dealt with it yeah, no, it's never like gone for sure, but it's definitely cathartic. It was a lot of moments of of just like healing. There was moments where you know, um, you know, the stuff with my father was real, like him getting tortured and all that was was real. How I found out about his torture that was 
in episode three, that's how I found out about my father's torture. And it was like recreating that was deeply painful. And then doing the, 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 the scene with, um, you know, the confessional scene where he's just, you know, finding an outlet and his girlfriend's trying to help him. You know, I realized that I never mourned it. And I realized that I never really gave it the appropriate time or just really, or even like being focused on it so much to where you like envision what he was going through in that moment was I never, I've never done, I had never done that. It's something like, I guess, like I was just like protecting myself and just naturally just pushed aside and never really dealt with it. And after we filmed the scene, there was a, you know, there was this, everybody was just so moved by it and was calm and almost like hard to make eye contact with me. And I was just feeling, cause I've never made, had been so vulnerable on camera like that before ever. And I, I just remember one of my mentors telling me like, you know, be so honest in your comedy that it's hard to make eye contact with you. And I never had that experience until I filmed that. I was like, why is, was it, you know, was it like, Oh my God, I was so getting self-conscious <laughs> right? because right. I didn't know. And I'm a comedian. I was like, oh, no, is that going to get mean to death? Me, like, crying is going to be like the Jordan meme now? Like, when I start <laughs> no, having no, all no. these, like, things about it, like, they're so ridiculous. But it was just this moment that was so real and, uh, you know, still gets me every time. But I'm just happy I did it. I'm happy I did it and I went there. And I think that that's, like, the essence of – I think that's like there's no magic trick, but if you're the magic trick is to me is like getting so hyper real with the story and connecting with something that is just scary. Yeah. And once you feel that, it tells you you're heading in the right direction, right? It's like tells you Right. I had I had noted that scene because I, I wondered you know, I feel like in talking to lots of actors through the years, it feels like they will tell you like in every season of a show, there's like the episode or the scene that they were kind of like dreading, like, okay, it's, it's finally time to film that one. Did, did that confession scene, was that the one for you? The confession? Um, no, it's the one I took. I mean, I took all of them very, very seriously. It wasn't something, I, again, I didn't even know that that's how, that's how I was going to be in this. Like, I didn't know. I didn't know, like it was never, you know, when I'm doing scenes or stuff where like, I just, I know the emotion of it and the weight of it because I'm deeply involved in the writing. So it's not like it's, it's a, it's an issue there. It's, it's like, I don't, I just, I just tend to let go and just feel it fully. So I didn't know how much it was going to affect me or how far I was going to take it. I didn't have like, okay, at this line, I'm going to feel this. And at that line, I'm going to feel that. It was just very natural. And the breakdown was very real. <laughs> like it was very, mm -hmm. I laugh at myself, but it's the only way I can stop myself from crying now. It's just like, <laughs> it was such a, such a deep moment. And in post, when I added that song, uh, how great by chance rapper and Jay electronica, mm -hmm. those lyrics were like perfect. Yeah. Like, it just like I love. I just it's one of it's one of the things I love the most that we've done on the show, and I just appreciate. And I have to like, you know, 
I'm glad that I let myself go there and I didn't like get scared and not do it. So I'm grateful that I didn't get in my own way. You know, yeah, like, I'm sure. grateful yeah. that I didn't do that. And so I just love that visual, the sun and that hope and coming out of that and just, and just hearing Jay Electronica's, you know, lyrics and like, I was lost in the jungle, like Simba after the death of Mufasa, no hog, no meerkat. No hog, no meerkat. Hakuna Matata by Deva. At night, I got no, you know, call back. It was just like, it's just like so poetic. And if you listen to the song, like I made sure for it to go away at like the perfect moment where it's like the, the, how I tried to reach my petty goals are so extreme. Like it goes away right at that moment. And it's all about like a cat being lost in the jungle without its father and wondering how it is and trying to talk to God and, and feel like nobody's listening. It's just like that to me was just like, oh. yeah. Well, it, it's everything you wanted to accomplish with that scene. I you did ten times over. It's it's really an incredible moment. And uh, I, I think the thing that when I talk to people about the show, it's like this this moment. Just wait until you get to this. It's it's really fantastic stuff. Um, knowing now what you said that you, you did find out about your dad's own torture the way you did. Was the the element of the um, immigration court judge, was that also real that the judge knew your dad? Wow. Okay, that's wild. So now you have me wondering all kinds of other things. Were you ever shot? No, I was never shot. I don't have an addiction to codeine. Thank God. Okay, good, good, good. (laughs) Happy to hear that. All right, all right. Yeah, it was one of those things. So we've had a couple of like really – because asylum court is just crazy. But even my lawyer who – my actual immigration lawyer before I became a citizen, he uh, he consulted on the show. And, and to this day, he was like, yeah, well, most case has like two anomalies in my 40 years of practicing immigration I've never seen since or, <laughs> or before. So I was like, oh, great. I'm so happy we, uh, we were able to check those off for you. But uh, yeah, that happened. And actually, it was his... Uh, it was after our first lawyer, Modad, who actually was fired in court by the by the judge himself because he was so incompetent. It was like it's something that's never happened in in uh, immigration court, according to uh, according to Jonathan. And then when we went to our case. That judge was a lawyer, and he didn't know my father, and he was wondering what happened. He got so choked up, and we thought we were good, and then he removed himself. We're like, oh no. So we're in the writing room and everybody was like, we're using this, right? I mean, obviously, clearly we're using this. I'm like, yeah, yeah, we got to use it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's crazy. I mean, you understand why he'd recuse himself, but I also understand from your guys' point of view that you're like, great, this is exactly what we, uh, you know, unexpected, but yeah. needed needed in this moment. But gosh, yeah, that was a that was a tough moment too, um, to, to watch. So for all of the serious things, there are also obviously some very funny moments in this show. I don't think I have laughed as hard as I did in a while uh, when Mo, I'll use the word rescues, his brother from the restaurant after he locks himself in the bathroom. Uh, and then Mo on the way out gives like the, the, the fuck you gesture and the manager yes. <laughs> says, did he just threaten to finger bang me? I, I died. I, I mean, like I was holding the remote. I dropped the remote. I like I was trying to find it so I could stop and mute so I, or pause so I could laugh. Oh, <laughs> uh, God, it's so, so funny. funny. Those guys are hilarious. Uh-huh. And Omar Elba did such a spectacular job with that role. And- yeah, it was so he did so much research and so he really is just like a 
he's just so good and my mom also so good and just like that was one of my favorite scenes too like it was one of the fun did he just threaten I think so. <laughs> like, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think so, dude. But was that <laughs> scripted or did you guys like was it something that felt right in the moment? No, we just were freestyling. It was a lot of it was for, like we did a lot, a lot of freestyles. Especially with like rewriting certain lines or whatever. We I would just ask like like give me five minutes and I'd rewrite it and then rewrite it in my head. Or, you know, we did a lot of like Harris and everybody it was a team effort, of course, and then there was certain things I know that need to be a certain way and just go with it or given different lines. And so I'd be like, okay, let's just roll. Let's have a few exits and let's see how it goes. And then, and then we fed the, and then those guys were so good. They were so funny that we just let them do their thing. And I said, somebody freestyled it. So like, we got to get the close up on this just so we could have it. It was just so fun. Yeah. It was a lot of fun, a lot of fun, a lot of stress but yeah. not fun <laughs> yeah well good good yeah um you know in in that moment i guess uh, that's the moment you're with your sister go to kind of save the brother and a lot of it had me thinking as i was watching like in, in a lot of ways mo kind of kind of leads a double life because there's certain ways he presents to his family but then you're know, like socially and with friends or at work it, it's a bit different how important was that for you to show that that difference in dynamics as you were you know developing these storylines yeah, it was really important because it just like there's there's several things happen. Not only living a double life like with his family, but also with his like friends, but also with his like feeling of wanting to belong. So he's always code switching and trying to be relatable and to show them that he's one of them. Like that is the essence of that character. Is just he's constantly living double, triple, quadruple lives. Like whether he's selling Yeezys to a redneck character and he's trying to let them know, like, hey, I'm one of you, you know, like, I know how you feel, buddy. Like, I'm with you there. And and him trying to, you know, not share everything with his family was just kind of reserve the feelings of his mother and not letting her worry or his brother who clearly has some issues, you know, and they haven't really pinned that down and he doesn't want to startle that, but he's trying to provide for them and some of his means of getting that, uh, that providing for them is not necessarily above water how they would like to see it. And he just tries to save them from that. And meanwhile, it's constantly piling on. Like he's lying to himself, lying to his girl, lying to his friend. And, and it just like, he keeps stacking them up until one day. And you, you pile on a shooting that he was involved with that doesn't even like deal with it properly. So he has some clear pain, of course, some physical pain. But you see he starts using it to mask his emotional pain and he and it all comes to a head at some point and he loses his mind like anybody would like he becomes irrational and takes risks that he shouldn't and that's why it builds up to that beautiful i think that that blow up with his mom in in the kitchen in 108 in episode eight um was such a big moment and um put things in perspective like oh they're fine without you like they'll be okay like you put these things, you superimpose these things in your head. Actually, you you created these scenarios that 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 you you should be doing this because of his dad, like putting that pressure on him as a kid, and he's now because of his guilt of not really leaving the relationship with his father on a good note, feels even more stressed about providing for that. Mm -hmm. But he's yeah. not going about it the right way. So right, yeah, right. he has to. He, he feels like he has to, even though he doesn't. Yeah, which that's, I mean, a lot of pressure on uh, 
a, a kid to then l- live with that uh, for for many years. Yeah. Um, well, and speaking of that, you know, episode eight, the finale. Um, well, let me ask this: Are are you a are you a motorcycle rider, or was that the first time? Yeah. No, you no, are. I love, no, okay. I love motorcycles. Yeah, yeah, I have plenty of motorcycles. That's actually my motorcycle. I donated for the show. Oh, nice. Well, I'm glad yeah, you yeah. built that in because that was that entire sequence. Uh, clearly, Mo doesn't. Well, if he has ridden, it's not very often. But uh, yeah, yeah. So, I didn't so, want to make him like. He's so easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't so, want to make him too good at it, but he just like you know steady. Yeah. Well, so then when you, well, let's talk about the final shot because, uh, I, I guess I'm curious, how do you land on that? Because it, it is certainly a cliffhanger, but as with uh, lots of TV shows, you don't know if you're going to get renewed. So I think you want to end with a scene that still conveys something, whether it's a cliffhanger or it's it for the show. Sure. I, I, would never make a decision ever in my life ever i don't care whether i'm gonna get renewed or not first of all like okay you know ne- you should never make a decision artistic decision based on that does it make sense is it good is it crazy is it wild is it you know i do like a world where people get to use their imaginations too like there is a wonderful thing about like creating people like c black and they're just like what the is gonna happen next <laughs> yeah like, right. what is that what is going on and how do you like what uh, uh, what is he doing down there everybody always asks me what is he doing in mexico like that's the thing on the street like that is that is like that to me is the fun part but also like leaving it in a way it's like how do you answer all those questions you could just make it super simple and come back across the border if i wanted to and went away and in episode eight sorry and then just he gets back so easily and he's just like to show that but that's not really meaningful and doesn't add the depth of like what a refugee what an immigrant has to actually go through to get back into the states and it was so symbolic the wall there's a lot of symbolism in the show the entire time right so the olive branch the olive which is a symbol of peace. They have the olive oil and what it means for Palestinians back home, the olive oil itself, what it means to us, the wall overseas, the wall here, like the idea of separation and what do you do when he doesn't mean to deport himself, literally deport, deported himself. And he puts himself in a situation where he's filled with fear and he wants to go and ending on that fear and uncertainty was so exciting for me. And I had this vision to do it that way and it was just like it was just so interesting to me and i i really wanted people to use their imagination and keep it so open for all the possibilities for the season two um yeah so that's i i enjoy that very much and it felt very poetic to end on that uncertainty because that is like in essence what uh an immigrant refugee asylee would go through mm. Well, makes complete sense. So that said, you're you're in the process. Did you like it? Did you like it? No, I did. I did. Now that you when you say that, I'm like, (laughs) no, not at all. I'm like, people were like, oh, why'd you do that to me? And that makes me happy when they say that. Honestly, yeah. Well, I mean, when I was watching the show, I will certainly say, like, because you were holding on the shot, and I was like, oh crap, they're going to end it right here, aren't they? (laughs) So there was a little bit. It was like because you know it held on just a little, like a second longer, because otherwise, like. Yeah. I feel like it would have already cut to another scene, but when it held, I was like, 
son of a bitch, this is where the season is going to end. So I'm going to have to wait for however longer to find out. But that said, uh, what will we find out? Like, will season two pick up months later or will it kind of document your process of getting out of Mexico? Oh, you're not going to say? I can't. I can't. (laughs) But I can definitely tell you this. It is hilarious. It is it is thoughtful. It is grounded. It is just like filled with comedy and and it is just everything's at risk for season two. Like everything's at risk for, for Mo and it is just like going to be a blast. Like the the so far what we've come up with and we put together and the stuff that I've been visualizing for the character and the family is so good and i'm so excited because you know like first season you're just learning how to ride this bike right this is, you just learn how to bike and you land a few tricks you're like oh cool we could do that and then once you have that rhythm and feel like oh man I'm, there's a lot of tricks i can land in season two i'm very excited about and and we're just having a lot of fun building it out um and it's just it's just you can't for real, I just I, can't, I don't want to say too much because I feel like I'm a slip. But it's <laughs> that's fair. All right, I'm 100 will slip, so I will not I can stop myself. But it's it that's all the things I said. I promise that they will deliver tenfold on those things. All right, I'm I'm thoroughly excited for it uh, and can't wait. Have you already gotten like Have you written like your favorite joke so far of the show? I'm not hyping. Probably like there's. <laughs> So far, like a dozen like oh. things that we've just thought were just hysterical from situations to dialogue to, yeah, again, I don't mm. want to slip up, yeah. but there is, a, there is a, because, you know, like my real life, like there's so much to mine. There's 20 years of living in that and I was living it as a comedian, right? I was living it touring without a passport as a comedian and to to now to live in this like fantasy of what if i didn't find stand-up and this is what i did for a living is what i didn't know what i was doing for a living and then taking all these risks without having stand-up as your as your like thing to land on has been just a wildly fun thing to play with um and there is so many like it's just so much comedy and of course there's going to be naturally uh, that he's going to draw into the con- into the drama, excuse me, because of the nature of the subject matter. But really, just focusing in on the situations and where we could take this has just been so fun and so damn funny. And, and just realizing the consequences of him deporting himself has just been the best thing that could have happened to our character. Like in my opinion, like it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> That's a good tease. That's a good tease. Yeah, I uh, promise. I, I promise <laughs> it's going to be hysterical. It's going to be hysterical, funny, thoughtful, so different than anything on television. I know that. Love it. Love it. Uh, about to wrap up here, but you said something that uh, makes me kind of wonder, you know, talking about your, uh, you know, stand-up comedy and, and those roots. How did stand-up uh, prepare you for scripted television? Um, stand-up the best thing about well, there's so many great things that stand up did to prepare me for the situation but i would say like being prepared for anything like you don't know like starting so young 
Uh, I started stand up when I was 14 years old and started touring the South um, at 17 and then traveling without a passport at 18, 19 years old. Uh, and that gives you so much to navigate through. Uh, and then touring the South with my name, you know, coming where I come from has put me in really, really difficult situations and being able to like pull through that and be so spontaneous in some cases, like having to freestyle an hour or two of material when you don't really have it is like made everything so easy, to be honest, like from like performance to uh, ability to like stay calm in really stressful situations. Other that, per that perceive themselves as stressful situations, I see them as like normal, you know, like that's like that's one thing it's uh, is done for me. Like it's, it's, it's a few things, but there's, I can name 50 for real, like <laughs> yeah. from having the ability to meet so many different people to travel all over the world, to perform in 50 countries and some of the most diverse places in the world to work with Chappelle and, and John Stewart and be with them and understand that and what that is and, and what that feels like and, and to see what that world is like and. You know, it's just like different levels to it and to experience it from the very early stages to the most prestigious stages in the world to now selling out my own venues. It's, um, I'm very grateful. I guess it goes back to gratitude again. And, and so it's just prepared me for those to be spontaneous and not be afraid to be spontaneous, to believe in yourself, to understand like narratively how to build it out within a story, within a series where you do, I, kind of take that own shape in my own stand-up specials like the first one became like about my mother and her sacrifice the second one not even on purpose became about my father and that story at the end and it just like it's it's so rich and just making sure that it has a through line throughout has really prepared me for making television and as a performer as well and not be afraid of spontaneity and 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 to 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 be willing to go there you know so i just really really appreciate that you're a fantastic storyteller, uh, and uh, I, you know I, I think what you're doing is some some really great work. So uh, you you were talking it up to uh, gratitude. I will uh, express the same to you for uh, for your time for this interview. It's been fantastic. By the way, do you have a um uh, do you have a, a a bottle of olive oil nearby? Do you really carry one? <laughs> I used to, and then I'm really? just like addicted to spilling it on my shirt. I uh, cannot. Uh, I cannot tell you how like ridiculous I am. Even if I put a napkin here, <laughs> it would find its way around it. It would spread. It would like, no, sir, mom. Yeah. You need to have one right on. It's just yeah. like unbelievable. I'm still a child. I can't get the food to my mouth yeah. appropriately. It's just. And then wow. it's a whole process of yeah. using the, like the baking soda or dish soap. And yeah, it becomes a lot. I hear you. You got to like it. seal yeah. it before you put it in. <laughs> right. at the yeah. It's a whole situation. So yeah. I'm getting gifts on the road constantly. So that's beautiful. So ah. I get those, I get those and I, and I use those. Yeah. Um, nice. Pretty nice. frequently. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I love the notion of, of carrying that. You know, you, t you take the condiments with you, the things with you that you love and appreciate and are perfect for your <laughs> own lifestyle. So I'm a sauce guy. Sense. I'm a sauce I guy. I, I used to travel with hot sauce forever <laughs> and I used to travel with olive oil. And then I just realized how ridiculous I am constantly pulling no. these out at like fine dining restaurant. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, what no. are you doing?
living my best life. That's what I'm exactly. doing. Exactly. I was going to say to each their own, to each their own. Yeah. <laughs> well, Mo Amor, it has been a great pleasure. Thank you so much. Uh, congratulations. And uh, I hope we will see you very soon back on our TVs. Thank you so much. I look forward to it. Much love. Right. Thank you so much for your Take time. care. Uh, well, okay. First of all, I could have talked to Mo all day, but he was literally on a break uh, from uh, th- there in the the writer's room for season two of Mo, where you heard I tried to get some stuff out of him. He was he was very protective of uh, of what they have going on. Um, understandably so. Doesn't want to give away too much, but it's, it's such an interesting concept what they did with his character. This guy who has no passport, he ends up accidentally in Mexico. So now it's like, how do I get home? Um, I'm kind of I feel like what he's saying is we're going to get to see that journey in season two, but he didn't want to like really say that. But that's what I took from it. Um, But again, if you have not seen the show, it's super easy, fast to watch uh, eight episodes, I believe. And they're all, you know, around the 30 minute range, um, which which we love because that makes for a good binge. I don't know about you, Patrick. I I tend to binge comedies. Look, I it is. I love a good lengthy drama and you know god bless the shows that some of them are 45 minutes and some of them are an hour and 20 and you never know until you sit down how long you're gonna be there for yeah but uh there's also like the like list checker uh in me um that loves being able to be like wow i knocked out that entire series in like four hours great right and i (laughs) I can cross it off my list like it's it's you know, I'm one of those people that will make a to-do list and add, make the to-do list on it just so I can cross something off and get that, get that, um, that adrenaline and endorphin rush, uh, of like doing something. Um, so yes, I'm all for a good short binge. Uh, but, uh, no, it, it's so impactful to, to hear his story and know how much of that is true and, and, and how, you know, emotional he got and, and it just, it, it makes, all the comedy that you find in his stuff, uh, even more impressive to be like, wow, like your family's been through some stuff. They have, they have indeed. And, and like he said, you know, he found comedy very early after coming to America and, and found it very healing, started stand up at 14. I can't even imagine, uh, all the, all the kudos to him. He has become a really fantastic storyteller. Uh, and to your point, well, I got to say quick tangent here about making to-do lists. I have found myself recently. I don't know if you've done this. I will try to plot out like what I'm going to watch each night. Cause folks in the industry who are listening know we have a lot of things to watch and I'll get myself like two episodes of this comedy and then an, uh, one episode of this drama and one episode of this drama. And there've been a few lately that I've started watching the comedies. And before I know it, I'm already on like episode six. And then I'm like, oh, well, I have just two or three more. I might as well just stick with it because why not? I, you know, I'm a completionist in that way. Uh, just get through the get through the full story while I can. We've done it. We've done it here and there in EW history, but I, I am always a big fan of when we kind of like are our own Nielsen polling and kind of just <laughs> have like you give what I watched last week uh, and just like, you know, a minute to minute, like here's how I spent my primetime hours. Yeah, we should, we should bring that back. It would be really interesting to see how things, if, if the pandemic at all changed people's viewing habits, I think it did, but. We could we could easily find out. Uh, well, Patrick, as always, thanks so much for joining me here. I mean, anytime. 
All right. And thanks so much to all of you for listening. That is it for this episode of The Awardist. If you like what you're hearing here on the podcast, you can follow and rate us and leave an award-winning review on Apple Podcasts. And to keep the conversation with us going, please do follow Entertainment Weekly on all socials. We'd love to hear from you. We're at EW on Twitter and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag me at Jared Hall. We will see you back here next week. This episode of the Awardist podcast is hosted by Jared Hall, produced by Chanel Johnson and Sammy Junio, edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening.